Jason Jaybird Goldstein, ready to bring you guys the bird's eye view on all the sports that have happened this week. That's right, that's a little new introduction, a little bit part of the show's rebranding that I'm currently doing. As I said, I'm trying to switch up the podcast a little bit, so try new things. Let me know what you guys like, let me know what you guys don't like, because I'm here for entertainment and to make everybody happy, including my listeners, especially my AWL. Corbin Walsh, shout out to him. He's my number one listener. Uh, Without further ado, let's get into talking football, recapping the NFL divisional round playoffs. Then we're going to preview conference championship week, along with who's hot, who's not in the NBA, who's hot, who's not in college basketball. The Yankees are finally making moves. We have breaking news on Ohio State on which players are entering the draft and which players are staying for another season. And finally, we have soccer in 90 seconds. So let's get into it. First games first, Packers-Rams. I'll be honest, like most of Wild Card Weekend, this was a relatively boring game. And honestly, it seemed like the Packers were in control nearly the entire game. I mean, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. The Rams did get into it at certain points. You know, they cut the seven late in the game, but they never felt like the game was truly going to get away from Rodgers. And like I said, for Rodgers and the Packers to win, all it took was for Rodgers to have his way with this defense and do what he's been doing all year. Obviously, it was to be more difficult because it was against the NFL's best defense. However, it wasn't difficult for Rodgers. Made it look easy. The Packers dropped 32 points, and they're moving on to the NFC Championship game, which is actually the first time Aaron Rodgers will be hosting the NFC Championship game in Lambeau Field. It's a crazy stat that I heard. Unbelievable. You would think for a guy as accomplished as Rodgers, he would have been hosting numerous NFC Championship games. And it's not like this is just his second appearance. He's been in the NFC Championship game now four times. There was the year he won on the road in Chicago, lost in Seattle, lost in Atlanta. Oh, lost last year in San Francisco. So this is Rodgers' fifth trip to the NFC title game, and the first time he's hosting it, which is honestly pretty damn crazy. Uh, Shout out to me for taking a prop bet on Alan Lazard to have a touchdown this game. Uh, that, That was really about it. That went right for me this week. It was a bad, bad betting week for me. Uh, for the Rams, yeah, Goff was fine. Uh, he, he just he didn't do really do much. He was just doing the safe passes. And like I, th- I thought the Rams were going to win this game with defense. I really did. However, it's hard to slow, it was hard to slow down the Packers' offense. You know, even Although Devontae Adams didn't get the yards necessarily, he still had a touchdown and he still had nine catches against Jalen Ramsey. So it allowed the Packers to... You know, keep utilizing Devontae Adams and find a way to beat the Rams. And with Aaron Donald hurt, it allowed him to utilize the run game. And the Rams' run defense was nowhere near as effective as it was all year without Aaron Donald in the lineup. And I, I know I just said this. I know I just said that Goff wasn't really an issue this game. But it is time. The Rams need to move on from Jared Goff, in my opinion. Look, he's not... Uh, I don't know if they can because of cap space, but they really need to move on from Jared Goff. He is honestly just not that good. It's re- really just time to move move on from him. Like I said, he's not that good. Uh, he's been a system quarterback, a product of the Sean McVay offense, and I've been a Jared Goff defender. I've stood up for him. I've said I believe he's a really good quarterback, but since his height of 2018, he really has not been that good of a QB. He turns the ball over a lot, and... Now that the offensive line around him isn't as good, he hasn't he he has not been nearly as efficient. Look, I'm not asking him to come out and throw the 30 touchdowns that he did the two years ago. Although it's kind of weird that he regresses from 30 plus touchdowns to barely over the 20 touchdown threshold mark in just a season. So 
Clearly, there's something wrong with Jared Goff there, similar to the regression we've seen in Carson Wentz. And in my opinion, I think they need to move on from him. Again, I don't know if it's doable due to their cap situation, but I think it's time and try to get a quarterback who's much more better suited to fit the Sean McVay offense. Another boring game, uh, Ravens-Bills. <laughs> my dumbass my dumb ass took the over. I know I told you guys to take the over before on my last episode. So I'm sorry about that. I let my fans down. I let my listeners down. I hope you guys didn't listen to me because that was a schmuck bet that I took. Uh, one of probably the craziest part of the game, besides the Lamar Jackson injury, was Justin Tucker missing two field goals. Can't recall the last time I've ever seen that happen in an NFL game. And it's very, very impressive. Like, has, it, has it happened? I, I'm not sure. Uh, and I'll be honest, like the Lamar injury, I kind of missed it. Look, it, it was my buddy's birthday. We were celebrating. And, yeah, you know, the second half is a little iffy in my memory. If, if, if you guys catch the drift of what I'm saying. Uh, but, yeah, once Lamar Jackson got hurt and it was 17-3, this game was over. You know, I saw the replay of it. He looked very ill and walking off the field. Obviously, you hope Lamar's okay and it's nothing serious. You know, it's not going to keep him out for the next game. It was just a minor concussion. But t- tough loss for the Ravens. And, look, they're, they're a good team, but they were just not in the low that the Bills were this year. Uh, they regressed a little bit, and it's clear that Lamar Jackson – He's still one of the most talented players in the NFL. There's no denying that. The things he can do are some of the things that we've never seen before from anyone in the NFL. Maybe Michael Vick, but honestly, Lamar Jackson's breaking Michael Vick's record. It's very amazing what he's doing. However, he's just not the best quarterback in the NFL. And honestly, I don't know if I would put Lamar Jackson in my top 10 quarterbacks. Top 10 playmakers in the NFL? Absolutely. And again, this is not me telling the Ravens to move on from Lamar Jackson. The thing is, you know, a lot of these other receiver, a lot of these other quarterbacks, they have the weapons. But you see the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons, where those weapons are good, but they helped make Tyler Lockett. They helped to make <coughs> Devontae Adams. In my opinion, the Ravens, they need to get Lamar Jackson number one receiver. That should be top priority this offseason. I don't know what the cap situation is, and I know with Lamar needing an extension coming up, they can't afford to sign a big-time wide receiver. Honestly, there's a ton of receiving depth in this draft. It might make a lot of sense for the Ravens to draft a number one. Uh, Kansas City versus the Browns. Well, I missed the first touchdown of this game, and no, it was not because I was out having a, a good time. CBS wasn't working. Uh, it happened in this area, you know, I, I actually was out, but I was paying attention to the game. And I get to the restaurant to meet my friend, and see, and all of a sudden CBS isn't working. And I'm like, oh my god, do we botch by coming here? Turns out it was in the area, that's what the waitress said. And then I go on Twitter, uh, a number of the Barstool guys are saying that it's not working for them. Uh, my friend Joe texts in our group chat saying, is anybody else's CBS not working? So clearly there was a whole CBS issue on the East Coast. And it was just crazy that this game started without that. And I don't know how much we missed. It felt like we missed a lot because that was like the fastest first half I've ever experienced. I think honestly both teams had just three possessions. That was it. And look, it looked early on. The Chiefs were in control. Uh... They're up 11, and all of a sudden Mahomes goes, gets hurt. And then Mahomes gets hurt, and there's still plenty of times left. And Browns fans, they start to get hopeful. You, 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 how, do you, how can you not be hopeful when you're going against Chad Henney and you, know, you only need to come back from 11 points? And then it's a 22-17 to 17 game, and there's 11 minutes left, and all of a sudden Browns fans hope it's really starting to rise. Could Chad Henney close out this game? Then... Chad Henning throws an interception off an ugly pass. I think that's when really hope starts to settle in. That's when it begins to look like, holy shit, the Cleveland Browns can pull off this upset here. Yeah, I know there would be no Mahomes, but if they still win this game, it would be a huge upset. It really, really seemed like it was going to happen there. But uh, unfortunately, the Browns, they, they punt the ball back. And first off, before I go into it, uh, people say punting the ball back was a bad decision. I don't think it was. Look, <clears throat> it was fourth and nine, and it's a tough choice to make. But at the end of the day, it's fourth and nine. It's not a fourth and five, fourth and four, where it's a lot shorter. Fourth and nine is 
a long play, and it's hard to get. And I, I get that you also have the one timeout. That was that was on Kevin Stefanski for wasting a timeout earlier on the stupid challenge play. That really ended up co- coming back to really really cost the Browns because two turtle two timeouts they might be able to stop the Kansas City offense and have a lot and get the ball back for one last time. And obviously they punt the ball and they never got the ball back. But again, you're also going up against a backup quarterback who just threw a miserable interception. Try to stop the run, force them into a third and long, which is just what they did. But, unfortunately, Andy Reid just put his nuts on the table. He needs 11 yards. Obviously, he needs 11 yards. With a backup quarterback, it's tough. Henny, on third, on third down, takes off with it. You know, It's like, you know, risky, risky to put Shad Henny in that situation where he can throw it. Takes off with the ball, runs it. Looks like he picks up. <coughs> Looks like he picks up the first down. He's just a yard short. Fourth and short, what do you do? Do the Chiefs punt the ball back like the Browns did? Or with your backup quarterback, do you go for it? Not only does he go for it, he throws the ball with Chad Henney. A bold call by Andy Reid. Unbelievable way to put it on the table. And Andy Reid's outstanding coaching is why the Chiefs are going back to the AFC Championship game for the third straight year. Despite Mahomes being out, unbelievable win for them. Great for the people of Kansas City. You know they're looking to repeat. And obviously next week really hinges on the health of Patrick Mahomes. And at the end of the season, it was a tough loss for <coughs> a tough loss for the Cleveland Browns. But at the end of the day, the future for the Browns is very, very bright. It truly was a very special season for them. Look. Everyone knew the talent was there with Kareem Hunt, with Nick Chubb, with Baker Mayfield, the offensive line, the wide receiving core. But no one knew what to expect after what happened last season with the same exact talent. And then Odell goes down and people don't know how is Baker going to respond. Well, they play even better with Odell Beckham going out. They go 11-5 and and win a playoff game. At this point, I think Baker Mayfield is the franchise quarterback and the Browns finally have a coach. There's, that's two things that the Cleveland Browns have not had in a number of years. And I have a lot of friends out there who are Cleveland listeners. A lot of friends who are good Cleveland fans. And for them, it's just been shit after shit after shit for a number of years. Well, now, there's so much to be excited about in Cleveland if you're a Browns fan. And the last game of the weekend was Saints-Bucks. It was between two legends... Appears to be Drew Brees' last game. Uh, it looked like if it, that's what the reports were and the way he played. It looked like he was his last game. Looked like he was washed and just played awful. He had three interceptions with Drew Brees. It got to the point where his deep ball was so porous. They had to run a trick play with Jameis Winston involved just to get just to get something going on the offense. And it really was just really sad to see. I mean, Drew Brees... One of the all-time best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Leads the leads NFL history in a number of categories. Yards, touchdowns, has numerous 5,000-yard seasons. An unbelievable career for Drew Brees. He was so sad on the sideline. It was really sad to see his career end this way. But it ends the way a number of career ends with mother, or father, excuse me, father time being undefeated. Uh, the Saints sort of played the part of the Bears last week where... The Bears' offense was not very good, but the defense kept them in it. And honestly, early on, Brady was pretty contained, really until late in the game when he needed to make the plays that he wasn't contained. I mean, the Saints, the Saints led this game 20-13. Yeah, they led this game 20-13. Obviously, the Bucks got 17 straight, and really a lot of that happened in the fourth quarter. A big part of that was points coming off the turnovers. And that was one thing about Breeze was – even with, even with the decline that we've seen from Breeze, he was never a turnover-prone quarterback. Obviously, that changed this game. Uh, the Bucks they get up there. They take a 23-20 lead. Saints could still come back. You never know. Devin White gets a pick off of Drew Breeze. Stiff, has an amazing stiff arm. I don't know who he throws to the ground, but it was a beautiful stiff arm. I've never seen a linebacker throw a stiff arm like that. It truly was crazy for them. And now the Bucs are in position. Brady sneaks it in. It's 30-10. to 10. 
That's the dagger. The Bucks make sure they don't lose three times. Brady continues to go his career without losing three times to one team. And he's moving on in the NFC title game. At this point now, the Saints are both Drew Brees and Tom Brady have the same amount of wins coming against AFC teams, each with, each with eight each. Absolutely just kind of absurd to think about. Uh, but look, like I said, it's the end for Drew Brees. They're going to be in cap hell next year. I believe $80 million over the salary cap. No idea how they finagle their way out of that one. But one, thing, one question remains, who takes over next year? I think Taysom Hill showed that he wasn't clearly the guy during his stint. And it appeared Drew Brees said to Jameis Winston, this is your team now. So is Jameis going to take over? I don't know. Lots of question marks for the Saints coming into the offseason. And we'll see what happens with them, especially with them being in this cap hell. Moving on to preview conference championship week. We're going to start off with Packers-Bucks. And much like the Saints-Bucks game, this game also features two of the best quarterbacks of all time in a duel. I mean, it's honestly crazy that, like, you know, you have Roger, you had Rodgers, Breeze, and Brady all in the NFC playoffs. These have been the three quarterbacks that really have dominated the 2010s in terms of being the three best quarterbacks of the decade. Obviously, Peyton Manning was up there when he was playing, but he retired in the middle of the decade. And, you know, when these two teams met earlier in the year, the Bucks steamrolled the Packers 38-10. to The Packers, they were healthy. They were coming off a bye week. And Rodgers threw two picks, one of them being a pick six. And the Packers' offense, they never got going after the first quarter. It was 10-0 it was 10 at the end of the first. And, since, and after that, they didn't score a single point the rest of the game. Not only that, but they were dominated by Ronald Jones. So the key, that I, the key to the Rams beating the Packers was exposed by the Buccaneers in this game. They know that they know how to beat the Packers as they're, they're really the only team to stop Rodgers and Green Bay's red-hot offense all year. They did what they had to do. They ran the ball against this bad run against this bad run defense, and they got after and put pressure on Rodgers. The key to victory. And again, I know I said this, but just it's crazy that this is the first time Rodgers has been hosting the NFC Championship game, and he he's still been unstoppable this year out, outside of the Bucks game. That's the thing. I mean, he's the MVP, and it's gonna be interesting to see Bob Bacaridi, however you say his last name, David Bacaridi. He played in that first matchup, and now he's not. And now he's not going to play in this matchup. I know, I know. Yeah, he's, they've been fine without him. Didn't matter against Khalil Mack. Didn't get matter against Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald. Albeit Aaron Floyd or Aaron Donald was hurt. So why is he going to matter against JPP and Shaq Barrett? It might. It might not. It's obviously going to be difficult to tell because these were two very different teams from the teams that met. Earlier in this season, both look a lot better now, and will not it will not surprise me to see either of these teams go to not only go to the Super Bowl but win and beat either the Chiefs or the Bills because they're both that good. Interested to see how the cold plays a factor in this game. Obviously, people want to say, "Oh, Florida team coming onto Green Bay, that's going to be an issue." But Brady, he played all those years in New England. He has the big game experience in the cold. So the cold really won't be a factor for Brady the way it was for Goff. And I'm just really I'm, I'm really excited for this matchup. For years and years and years, people wanted to see a Packers-Patriots Super Bowl. For years, it was Brady's the GOAT. Aaron Rodgers is the most talented QB of all time. And we never got these guys in a Super Bowl. We finally get them in an NFC Conference Championship game. And I know I cannot wait for this game. Now, if Tampa Bay wants to win this game... They're going to need a game plan similar to their game plan the first time they met. Uh, don't, you're not, don't expect to hold Green Bay to 10 points again. You're just not going to do that the way you did last time. However, forced, forced turnovers. It's going to be very hard to force Rodgers into two interceptions once again, but that's what you have to do. And take advantage of the turnovers like you did against New Orleans. Utilize Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette against that weak Green Bay rush defense. That's how you have to do it because – because that that's the weak point. That's where the weakest spot of Green Bay's defense. That's how they've lost all the games that they've lost this year by teams running the ball on them. They have a good pass defense. Jair Alexander will be able to take on 
Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown, or Mike Evans in this game. The defense overall is rated number 13, so it's not like that this is a bad defense whatsoever here. Plus, the Packers defense can get after you with Zadarius Smith. So they can definitely put pressure on Brady. For them, winning is... It's just because they lost 38-10, winning is not out of the realm. With that defense they have, which is a lot better than it was when these two teams first met, especially with Alex Kappa potentially being out for the Buccaneers, and with Rodgers playing as well as he is, and Tampa Bay's defense, at least yardage-wise, yardage not maybe doing as well as it was earlier in the year. And for that reason, that's why I'm taking Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, just because of how great the how much the offense has been rolling for them and it's not like Brady's been that great in the postseason he's been fine he's hit big throws he's won the two games but I can see the Packers defense making the stops that they need and now the AFC championship game I mean look that's everyone knows what the big factor is here I'm not going to sugarcoat it the biggest factor is the health of Patrick Mahomes in this game uh, he practiced in full today, which bodes well for the Chiefs. I actually bet money on the Bills on Monday, just in case Mahomes is out. You know, I got the odds at plus 139. So I thought, you know, with Mahomes out, or with Mahomes potentially out, <clears throat> why not take it? Players miss games because of concussion the next game almost every single time. It's very rare for a player to play the next week. With Mahomes, I feel like it's going to be a different story. But even then, you never know what upset the Bills can pull because this is a damn good team. And they're the two most exciting teams in football. Look, I said the Packers and Bucks can beat one of these teams, and I wouldn't be surprised. But these two teams are just so much fun to watch. They're two of the hottest offenses in football, high-scoring offenses. Their quarterbacks have the two biggest deep arms in the NFL. They're so similar right now. And they both have defenses that fly under the radar. You know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, their performance gets all the attention. But no one really, really, really gives credit to either of these defenses. And I think the Bills are personally are best set up to beat Kansas City. Obviously, they have the defense for it. They could their their pass rush has been solid. They don't have one dominant pass rusher, but they have a number. They have a number of guys: AJ Klein, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, who get after the pass rusher there. And obviously, that's how you stop Mahomes getting after him. And who knows how comfortable Mahomes is gonna look with coming off the concussion or the neck injury, whatever it is. And but that being said, I think he's just too good. And assuming he does play, they're going to win this game. I do think both offenses will go toe-to-toe. But the Chiefs from my preseason picked to win the Super Bowl. And why would I change that now? All right, so I gave my picks who are going to win the NFC and AFC championship games. Uh, like I said, I've been on a bad streak. My bet, the only, I went 1-3 with my best bets last week. I went 1-5 wild card weekend with my best bets. So for that... I am not going to give the listeners my best bets because odds are neither of those will probably hit. So, listeners, you go with your gut. Uh, we're going to go on to, to talk NFL news quickly. Uh, some of the bigger news stories. Phillip Rivers retiring today. I think Phillip Rivers. <clears throat> I think Philip Rivers is no doubt a Hall of Famer. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. His numbers back it up. Yeah, he hasn't won as much as Eli and Big Ben have. But in my opinion, I think talent-wise and skill-wise, he might have been the best of this draft, Phillip Rivers. It sucked that he didn't win a ring. One of my favorite QBs to ever watch. My first ever fantasy football quarterback, Phillip Rivers. So shout out to him on a great career. We're going to miss you, Phillip. You're one of the most important players to ever come through into the NFL. Uh, just news, I'm going to quickly relay the NFL coaching cycle. The Texans and Eagles are still looking for their head coaches. No one wants, no one wants to go to those disasters of franchises right now. The Jets hire Robert Sala, and that's a great hire for them. He's a great leader. Uh, people, people want to say, oh, but look at the 49ers defense. It was mediocre this year. This defense was missing nearly half their – this defense, pretty much the entire defense missed the season. So I don't think that Salah hire was a bad hire at all. He's a great leader. You see the energy he has on the sidelines, and I think he's going to really change the culture of the Jets. Plus, you've seen in the past, at least with Bowles and Rex Ryan early on, they do well with defensive coaches. 
And if they're hiring a defensive coordinator as a head coach and not an offensive-minded guy, I see them keeping Darnold as opposed to drafting fields. Uh, Urban Meyer to the Jaguars. I don't believe I covered this on the podcast yet. And I want to see Urban Meyer do well. Uh, I definitely have wor- I definitely have my worries about him in the NFL, no doubt. But he also, he has so much cap space, and he has all these draft picks. It honestly was the perfect spot for Urban to go to. And I'm rooting for him to do well. I really want him to do well. I love Urban. Won Ohio State a national title, which is why I really want to see nothing but success. Uh, Chargers get Brandon Staley, Rams defensive coordinator. I personally think they should have taken Brian Dable, who I think was the best head coaching candidate on the market. Uh, You want to give your young quarterback an offensive mind, but at the same time, from what I've seen from Herbert and this Chargers offense, they're going to be good regardless. They have some great pieces on defense in Joey Bosa, in Kenneth Murray, in Derwin James, if he can stay healthy, Chris Harris, a number of Casey Hayward, a number of great guys on that defense. Maybe bring in Brandon Staley to work with those good pieces on defense and form a fearsome unit. You have Arthur Smith, who goes to the Atlanta Falcons. I like the move. One of the smarter offensive coaches in the game. It'll be interesting to see if the Packers or the Falcons choose to draft a quarterback to sit behind Matt Ryan or continue to ride with him for the next few years. Uh, you have the Lions hiring Dan Campbell. I remember he was interim coach of the Dolphins a few years ago. I'll be honest, I don't get it. I don't get why you hire a tight end coach. Uh, it is currently January 20th. I am dropping this episode the night of January 20th, actually. So I'm going to do a little bit. This day in NFL history, the Giants would defeat the Packers in Lambeau Field on a cold, negative one degree day, 23-20 to in overtime on a Lawrence kick game-winning field goal to send, the, to send them to the Super Bowl where they would take on the 18-0 New England Patriots. That's it for Talking NFL. Now let's move on to the NBA. We're going to start off talking about the New York Knicks. Their first game of the week since my last episode was against the Cavs. And they really kind of struggled most of the game. It was a very low-scoring game, as you would figure, between these two teams who have not scored over 100 points in a long time, up until this game, of course. And the turnovers were what killed them late at the end. They They cut the lead. It felt like the Jazz and Hawks game where they trailed big early on and then came back. Uh, but again, it was the turnovers that did them in. There was multiple possessions where they had a chance to lead or put the Cavs away, and they failed a number of times. R.J. Barrett at one point dribbled it off Drummond's leg. That led to a turnover, a difference, a difference maker in the game. Reggie Bullock came out with a big steal. He lost it. Sloppy play all around for the Knicks, and that's why they lost this game. And they also just could not stop Andre Drummond. He was a beast for the Cavs. I thought he might get a 30-30 after seeing his first half stat line. But he still had a 20-20 game. I mean, Drummond just made his footprint everywhere. And was hitting his free throws. It was crazy. You have Knicks Celtics. We had an unreal defensive performance from the Knicks on Sunday. They were crushing the Celtics. Winning that game by 30. And, you know... Kemba Walker, that was his, that was just his first game back, and it's fine to expect Russ. You know, I kind of would expect Kemba Walker to be Russ, but to have Kemba Walker come back and lose by thirty, it really was truly shocking. No one thought he would have been as bad as he was, and no one thought the Celtics would ever lose by thirty to the Knicks in TD Garden, whether there's fans or not. And after Charlotte played defense during the losing streak, the defense showed up in this game. You know, it showed up against the Cavs, too, but that's because it's the Cavs. But showing up against the Celtics and holding them to 75 points when the only key guy missing was Jason Tatum was awesome. And Randall was fine once again. 20 points, 12 rebounds, and he had three steals. You also have the Knicks play the Magic on MLK Day. So the Knicks won back-to-back days. Not back-to-back games, but back-to-back days. And they were really in control for almost the entire game until... The fourth quarter, they get, they let up under under 25 points in each of the first three quarters before giving up 30 in that fourth quarter. It seemed like the Knicks were going to blow it. The Magic were making a run. Nothing was falling for the Knicks' offense. Uh, the Magic get the ball back with like a second left on the shot clock. Terrence Ross trucks up a prayer that goes in. 
gives the Magic a one-point lead, and at this point it feels like game over. Knicks are gonna lose, but they go on a little bit of a, they go on an eight-nothing run, take the lead, end up closing this game out, 91 to 84. Big win for the Knicks. They're, they they out, win back-to-back games. They stay alive in this playoff race. Obviously, it's still early in the year, and if the four-game losing streak isn't any indication. The Knicks are not going to hang around this place for much longer. But hey, it's just fun to have a competitive team this early in the season. And look, the team played what the team played five this season. Uh, Randall, RJ, Quigley in particular have had fine weeks. You have Julius Randle doing what he's been doing all year. Well, R.J. Barrett has had 19-plus points four games in a row. And Emmanuel Quigley gets more and more playing time. And even though Alfred Payton hasn't been bad, Quigley's outplaying Payton. And it begs the question, when is Alfred Payton going to be benched for Emmanuel Quigley? It's something a lot of Knicks fans are asking for. Who is hot and who is not time? I'm going to start off by saying red hot are the Brooklyn Nets. They've won four games in a row. One of those games coming against the Milwaukee Bucks, which in my opinion was the best game of the young season with the back and forth buckets between the Nets and the Bucks at tri- at happening at the end of the game. And in his first two games, Harden has looked just incredible. He's averaged 33 points per game, 13 assists. And it's not like he's doing it by himself or that KD is having a couple of golf games. KD had 42 and 30 in those two games with James. So it's clear that he's coming and he's made an impact right away. Obviously, Harden and KD look like the two of them have not missed a beat from their playing days together. Now Kyrie is coming back. And now is the question mark really comes to fit in. How will Kyrie and James Harden fit in together? Again, I think I said this on last week's show, but the two of them should fit just fine. I get that they have very similar styles of play where they like to be the primary ball handler, and a lot of their game is based on driving to the hoop and also hitting step backs. And so there will be a conflict of interest, there's no doubt. But if these players want to win as badly as they say they do, they'll put aside their differences to win a championship. And that being said, uh, they're, they're good now. They're really, really good. They're hot. The season was a bit of a slow start, which you kind of figure, but now they're getting into a groove. And watch out for the Nets, who are going to finish as one of the East, one of the NBA's best teams. Another team that's won four games in a row and is on the hot section is the Los Angeles Clippers. They've won four games in a row. They have the th- they're the best three-point free-throw shooting team while being sixth in total points. Honestly, it seems like the chemistry issues of last season for them have subsided. Uh, people thought the last two, the Clippers at full strength, could win the ch- the title, myself included. But there was just there was chemistry issues, issues between Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Montrezl Harrell. This season, it seems those those chemistry f- issues are fixed. Again, I don't know if they are, but it appears they are. And Kawhi and Paul George look hungry for redemption. They're making a case for best duo in the NBA right now. I know I've said a Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I know I've said LeBron and Anthony Davis, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are making a case for the best duo in the league, and we've forgotten about them. After last year's choke, we had forgotten about this Clippers team, but we all know they're a damn great team, especially Paul George, who's shooting 51% from the field, including from three-point land. The last team that's hot are the Memphis Grizzlies. They won five games in a row. They were sat at 2-6. and six. John Morant was out. Things looked lost for them. Looked like they might be heading for an early pick in the NBA draft this season. However, they went three games without him. He's back, 2-0 and with him. All of a sudden, the Memphis Grizzlies are sitting at 7-6. and six. And look, these aren't games that are just coming against total schlubs. They beat the Nets, they beat the Sixers, and they beat the Phoenix Suns. So those are all three teams that are all headed to the postseason. And he's been, and he's been got him up to five wins now, Ja. Or excuse me, he got him. He's got he got him with their five game winning streak at seven and six. Uh, he Chad only took this team to the playoffs last season, and now that he's back and has learned a lot about and growing, he appears to be even better this year, and he appears to be ready to take the Memphis Grizzlies to the NBA playoffs. Next, it is time for who is not hot. We are going to start off with the Sacramento Kings. They have an, they, This week they are 0-3. They've lost 5 out of 6 games. 
And in all those in all those last eight games, they've given up over 120 points in each of them. Fox, Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, a few of their other guys, Heald, Bagley, they're not even playing that bad. The offense has not been an issue. Points have not been an issue to come by. They have a decent young core, the Kings, but the defense is just atrocious. It's similar to the Washington Wizards where they just can't stop anybody. And if you want to make the, the playoffs in the Western Conference, you can't be playing as bad at defense as the Kings are. It's clear that they're a notch behind a lot of the teams in the West, and it's looking like they're probably going to be sitting at home for, during the playoffs once again. Also not hot, the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I almost considered putting them in the hot category last week, actually. They were playing a little bit better. However, this week they've lost three in a row, and they're just not playing as well as they have. LaMelo has been better than I thought he was going to be. I was someone who personally was not as sold on LaMelo Ball, but hey, it's he's been good. And the Hornets, obviously, you know, they haven't been atrocious this year. They've been better than I've expected them to be. But right now, at the time, they're not hot. And a team that's also not hot, it's an interesting inclusion for them here. The Portland Trailblazers. Uh, you know, they're not even playing bad. They're not stuck in a rut or stuck in a bad stretch. However... They just had two major injuries. They just lost Yusuf Nurkic for the season. And obviously we saw last season what not having Nurkic did for this team and what having him did. See what they were two completely different teams pre and post bubble when they had Nurkic playing. But the bigger loss was Damian Lillard's backcourt mate, CJ McCollum, who is out now for at least a month. And obviously, you know, the Blazers could play pick up the slack without him. They still have Carmelo Anthony. Damian Lillard has done wonderful things before. He's one of the best point guards in the league, and he's someone who you don't want to doubt. But with injuries that they're facing right now, it's time to put the Portland Trailblazers in the non-hot category. And if we're going to stick on the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard, oh, uh, I actually that's actually wrong about Yusuf Nurkic. He's not out for the year, but he's out six weeks. But regardless... Two long absences with both Yer with both Nurkic and McCollum. Hopefully, maybe Dam hopefully Damian Lillard can do what he did in the bubble last year. In fact, one year ago today was when Damian Lillard had his second 60-point game of the 2019-2020 NBA season. We know his third 60th-point game came in the bubble when he was making the Blazers, making sure the Blazers got to the postseason. Uh, so we have some MLB news to uh, talk about. Uh, some free agencies finally picked up. Before we talk about free agency, the Mets had to fire their general manager, whom they hired just a month prior. Apparently he sent 63 texts to a girl without a response, including sending a picture of his dick. Like, what the hell is that? That just... I, mean, I believe the texts were leaked to ESPN. The, if you read the article and you've seen the text, it's pretty weird stuff. I, I thought I would never, ever, ever see the day where Jeff, where Jeff Passon's tweeting the word penis. Like, just unbelievable, disgusting. There's no room for that in the game. And how the hell did this, does he get hired in the first place? I understand that the Mets don't know about this incident. But how does that, there needs to be a background check so you don't not hiring owners who are doing this to women. Because frankly, it's disgusting. Other free agency moves. George Springer, he leaves he leaves the Astros, but he's going to the AL East where he might haunt the Yankees as he signs with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, people thought Michael Brantley was going to the Toronto Blue Jays. I actually had a written Michael Brantley and Springer to the Blue Jays. That report changed where it wasn't confirmed, and now it appears that Michael Brantley is back in Houston playing for the Astros. And now for the Yankees. DJ's back. Oh, thank the Lord that DJ LeMahieu is back. Oh, man, we needed him. I know there, so there were some people on Yankees Twitter, specifically this Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez resurgent bandwagon, was really against signing LeMahieu. I understood wanting to put that money elsewhere and potentially chasing one of the shortstops next year. But in my opinion, DJ was just way too important for this team. He's The way he's been able to stay healthy the last two years and with Judge and Stanton, their injuries. Not only that, with everyone who tries to hit for power on this team, it's nice to have a contact guy, such as DJ LeMahieu. 
The other signing that the Yankees made was Corey Kluber. Now, a lot of Yankee fans were thrilled about Corey Kluber, and I'm not saying I'm not. But, however, we definitely need to slow our roll on how excited we are about Corey Kluber. Don't forget, he's missed the last two seasons with injury. Uh, he's struggled against the Yankees in the past, so who knows how he's going to do playing for the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. And he does have postseason struggles in his career with the Indians. Uh, obviously, I hope we get the pitch from 2014 to 2018. It seems like that's who we're getting if you look at all these Yankee fans on Twitter. But in reality, getting him does not add a solidified number two guy. It just adds another question mark to the Yankees rotation, but also gives, gives us a guy with incredible upside. So I like the move for Kluber. I personally would have done it for a little cheaper than $10 million. But reports say that he would have gotten more than $10 million, uh, in the market and that the Yankees' offer to him was low, but he wanted to be in New York. So in a way, I guess we had to be respectable and give him an offer that would have made him accept to come to New York. But I'm excited for him. I'm excited to see what Corey Kluber can do. And again, if we get the guy who he was from 2014 to 2018, this starting rotation will be scary, especially if Severino returns to form. That's about it for baseball news. Let's move on to college basketball. First and foremost, we'll talk about the Buckeyes. Saturday, they play Illinois. First half was insane. They dominated them. They had EJ Liddell, Musa Jalo, Dwayne Washington, Justin Aarons were all playing great. However, they nearly blew it in the second half. First half, they shot the lights out. Second half, they continued to shoot the ball incredibly well. However, there was a lot of dumb turnovers. And these turnovers happened at the end of the first half, to be honest. When they were up by 20 points, the turnovers allowed Illinois to cut the, the lead a tiny bit, but it was still a sizable lead. Then the second half was just full of sloppy turnover and sloppy turnover for Ohio State. And it looked like they might end up blowing this lead. Seth Towns stepped up. He hit a couple big shots for the Buckeyes. He scored a season-high 11 points. So if his shots, a lot of his shots ended these Illinois runs and allowed Ohio State to keep the lead going. And, of, and, so, and so was Justin Aarons, who was on fire from three-point range against the Fighting Illini. This guy is literally just Steve Novak. All he does is shoots threes. Only two three-pointers on the year all season. Obviously, that, after that win over Illinois, Ohio State moved up to the top 15. I was really excited about that. I saw this team and I thought, you know, this team has Final Four potential. Uh, however, though, being a 15 didn't last long because yesterday we lost to Purdue. And it was another game where we shot a bunch of threes. And we, we only mainly had six two-pointers. It's, it's one of those, you live by the three, you die by the three. Against Illinois, and in the first half of Purdue, we were shooting the ball lights out from three and living by it. Second half against Purdue, we're not shooting three ball as well, and we died by it. It was way too many threes during, the, during that second half. A lot of questionable shots down the stretch. You know, I understand shooting threes, but there's no excuse for only making six two-point field goals. It's not smart basketball. It's poor shot selection. You know, even though Alabama hit 23 threes the other night, they still were able to hit 22. So it's not like you, it's, not like you, it's one or the other. You have the option to do both in college basketball. Obviously, Jaden Ivey, he had a career-high 15 points for Purdue. He was really hurting the Buckeyes all game long. Hit a few big shots to get Purdue back in it. And then obviously he hit the biggest shot of the game, a three-pointer, which sunk the Buckeyes, giving the Boilermakers just their third ever win in Value City Arena. And fun fact, the first two years that the first two times that Purdue has won in Columbus at Value City, they've gone on to win the Big Ten. So you never know. Put a Put some money down Purdue to win the Big Ten because that trend might continue. You never know. But I say this team is a Final Four contender, and they most certainly are a contender. Because, look, we play a ton of guys. We play Justin Aarons. We play Musa Jallo. We play C.J. Walker, E.J. Liddell, Seth Towns, Zed Key, uh, Justice Swang. There's, there's probably a few more guys I'm missing. This team plays about 11 deep. Eugene Brown, they can play 11 to 12 deep. And in March, when there's games on top of each other, this depth matters. They play great defense. You know, the second half against Illinois, they could have played better defense. 
But the shot against Purdue, they were draped all over Jaden Ivey. He just drilled that. Great, great paint defense, too, for Ohio State. Shut down Coburn. They shut down Williams for the most part against Purdue. So you know, they're, they're, still a, they're still a really, really good team. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us make a Final Four. We just can't be having these games where we turn the ball over, which we've been doing a lot in the last two games. Before the Illinois game, we're last, play, we're last in, in turnovers per game. And I believe top, first in assists to turnover ratio. I'm, I'm not sure if we are, but the turnovers per game, we limit them a ton except these last two games. And just take the threes. Hope they fall, but don't take too many threes. Again, if, if there's poor shot selection and turnovers, we'll be out in the second round. But from what I've seen from this team, they can make the Final Four. Uh, sticking with the Big Ten, Minnesota on Saturday, they crush Michigan at the barn. The barn continues to be one of the toughest places to play in the country this season. And now they have wins over who many people consider to be the top two Big Ten teams. There's tiers. Everyone has Illinois and Michigan in their first tier. Minnesota has beaten them both. Probably the most shocking result of the weekend was number eight Creighton losing to Butler, who was just three and seven. Creighton, yeah, I get they were missing Zergowski, but Butler has been atrocious this season, and I was mad about this loss. All right, Creighton made me look bad for two reasons. I put Creighton in the hot category last week, and what do they do? They lose. They fall out of that hot category, and I had a parlay. Would have won me a nice 200 bucks. But Creighton was the only team in the parlay that, 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 that fucked it up. So yeah, there, there was that. That pissed me off. I mean, I don't get how you lose that 3-7 and seven team. I get Zergowski, and he's your best player, is out for the game. But you're so much better than Butler. You're supposed to be one of the favorites to win the Big East. Second behind Villanova. I don't know how Creighton lost that game. Another team that made me look bad was Louisville. I had them in my hot category last week as well. They get upset by Miami, who's one of the worst teams in the ACC, and then get crushed by Florida State on Monday. Absolutely demolished by Florida State, much like they did the, twice last season. There was another demolishing on Monday when Baylor beat Kansas. You know, Kaylor nearly, excuse me, Kansas nearly came back against Baylor a few times in the game, cutting it that four or five point game. But anytime Baylor just responded with a mini run to keep Kansas out of the game, Jared Butler continues to be one of the best players in the country. Seems like a lock to make the All-American team. Has been outstanding for Baylor this year. And that was Baylor's toughest test of the year in Kansas. You know, they their game against Texas got canceled. Their game against Gonzaga got canceled. Kansas is better than Texas Tech. Baylor survived their toughest test of the year. And it looks like they're on a collision course with Gonzaga, where honestly... If this game doesn't get made up, both teams could enter undefeated. You had Villanova. They resumed conference play. Thrilling win over Seton Hall. Much like a lot of teams coming back from COVID. Villanova struggled a little bit. They built big leads against Seton Hall, but never were able to pull away as Seton Hall kept getting back into it. And Seton Hall honestly had a few chances to win the ball at the end of the game. They missed a shot at the end of regulation. Looks like we're going to overtime. However, refs call a questionable foul call underneath the basket, allowing Villanova to shoot two free throws with just under three seconds left. Uh, they miss the first, make the second, and Seton Hall needs a miracle. They throw it down to Mamushvili, and honestly, he's open. Mamushvili is like open for a layup. It looks like he could win the game for Seton Hall. Unfortunately, the ball goes through his hands. He's big. He was bigger. He was taller than all the guys Villanova had on the court. And he had an open lane to the basket. It looked like for a second, Mamushvili and the Pirates were going to come away with a stunning victory over Villanova. Unfortunately, he doesn't corral it. Ball goes out of bounds. And again, Seton Hall actually did have a chance to win at the end of the game. Because uh, again, Villanova went one of two from the line. Seton Hall chucks a ball down the court. It looked like, the, it looked like they got the shot off in time from three-point range. However, it was an air ball. Not sure if it would have counted or not, but from my perspective... It looked like it was. It looked like he got it off in time. Uh, we have the best games coming up this weekend. We have Michigan. They're traveling to Mackey Arena to play against Purdue on Friday. Purdue undefeated in Mackey Arena last two years. It's been one of the toughest places to play in all of college basketball. We have another big matchup in the Big Ten, as we do almost every day. 
where Ohio State travels to Madison to play the Wisconsin Badgers on Saturday. Other great games on Saturday in the Big 12, we have Kansas versus Oklahoma. Great game a couple weeks ago. You have Baylor looking to stay undefeated, going up against Oklahoma State and their star freshman in Cade Cunningham, the likely first overall pick in the draft. But the Oklahoma State, fresh off a win against Kansas, you know that they're going to be excited and hungry to play against this Baylor team, as long as the game doesn't get canceled, as Oklahoma State has recently paused basketball activities. You have Clemson versus Florida State, arguably two of the top teams in the ACC, along with Virginia and Tennessee and Missouri, two of the top teams in the SEC at the moment, maybe right behind Alabama. That's it. So plenty of great games this weekend. There will be some more great games coming up next week. But for now, let's talk about who is hot and who is not in college basketball. We are going to start off with the Virginia Cavaliers. They have now won five straight games. They've scored 80 points in back-to-back games. And that's not Virginia basketball. That's not Virginia basketball to score 80 in back-to-back. The defense, like like it is every year under Tony Bennett, continues to be absolutely amazing. But however, people want to sleep on Virginia. Virginia lost to San Francisco, and they got crushed by Gonzaga. So the love for them fell off, and they fell down to, I believe, just 24 However, they've responded with two dominant wins this week, including a 35-point blowout win over Clemson, who's one of the best teams in the ACC. Virginia looks back, and they're very, very legit. Another team who's hot, the UCLA Bruins. They're on a six-game winning streak. Currently, they're undefeated in Pac-12. Right now, they're the 32nd best team in the country in terms of three-point percentage, and it's a deep team. There are six guys who average double figures. You know, UCLA basketball has been on the decline for a couple of seasons, but the higher Mick Cronin, the former Cincinnati coach, things are on the uprise for them. And with this experienced group of guys, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. And even, although the Pac-12 may not be great, UCLA is going to make some noise come March. And the last team who's hot, I've talked about them a few times on this podcast already, but Purdue. They've won four games in a row, and three of them have come on the road. Outside of Ohio State, they won at Michigan State in that great game I talked about last week. They won at Indiana. Yeah, Indiana hasn't looked as good this season, and I'm going to talk about them shortly. But, but they just. But also, they they're all on the road, and they have not played a home game outside of the Penn State game in weeks. It's impressive for this Purdue team, which historically has struggled on the road. You have Travion Williams, another player who might win. Conference player of the year if he wasn't in the Big Ten, averaging 15 points per game on not 9.5 rebounds on 54% shooting. He's, he's been sensational for the Boilermakers, and his ability to dominate the second half of games is why Purdue's on this winning streak, which is why they came back to beat Ohio State, which is why they came back to beat Michigan State. It's time to rank this team because a lot of people are not talking about them, and I think a lot of it is because they have their five losses. But with a 6-3 Big Ten record, including three road wins and undefeated home record, it's time to start taking Purdue as a very, very serious threat. Now let's talk about who is not hot. Let's start off by talking about the Blue Devils. That's right. We're talking about a lot of Blue Bloods are going to be in the not hot section. At this point in time, Duke is not a tournament team from what I've seen from them this far. And, and for the rest of the season, the Blue Devils are in serious danger of missing out on the tournament. Look, things they started out fine in ACC play. They were 3-0, and and people thought, okay, they're back. The ACC is weak this year. They just struggled against Michigan State and Illinois. But now they've lost back-to-back games against Virginia Tech, against Pitt, who are two of the better teams in the ACC right now. And now they're unranked for the first time since 2016. They're sitting at 5-4, and four, just 3-2 and two in ACC play, and they're really not getting much help. Jalen Johnson was fantastic yesterday, but he can't do it alone. You know, Wendell Moore's been awful this season. You have Matthew Hurt, who, you know, he's a, all he does is shoot threes. He's not a very efficient player. He's a guy on a loaded Duke team, would, be, would fit in well in his role, but he's not a guy who can be the third best player on this team. The team has just looked lifeless at times, and they're not very good. They struggled against Coppin State, 
I honestly it remains to be seen because they still they still have Miami. They still have games against BC. They still have games against the crap of the crap in the ACC. But right now, Duke is seriously in trouble of missing out on the tournament. Another blue blood that's not hot. How about the Kansas Jayhawks? But back-to-back -back tough losses against Oklahoma State, against Baylor. And honestly, those games, they were down by a lot. And in recent days, they got blown out by Texas. So they've been playing really porous lately. And they'd be on a lengthy losing streak if they did not escape Oklahoma a few weeks ago. I talked about them last week on the podcast. They don't have that go-to guy that they've had in the past in Devin Dotson and Frank Mason and Thomas Robinson. They have a bunch of decent guys, but it seems like their guys have yet to gel together. And it's one of them is taking over a game as opposed to all of them playing as a cohesive unit. And until they play as a good cohesive unit, I think they're going to continue to struggle, Kansas. And I talked about them a little bit ago. Indiana Hoosiers. Look, they haven't been ice cold, but they're three and four in Big Ten play. They're three wins. Maryland, Nebraska, and Penn State. Those are three of the four worst teams in the Big Ten, along with Northwestern. And Northwestern beat Indiana. Indiana, when they've gone against the teams that are better, that are good in the Big Ten, the Wisconsin's, the Purdue's, they've lost. So they're not hot until they can actually beat a legitimate team in the Big Ten. Uh, moving on, we're going to talk some college football quickly. Ohio State's have an, Ohio State look, officially has what appears to be their roster for next year. Chris Olave stuns the world. He's staying for another year. Nobody expected it, but I'm thrilled. He's going to come back, and he's going to be one of the best wide receivers in the country next year. The offense is going to be loaded for C.J. Stroud with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who will no doubt be the best wide receiver duo in the country next season. Plus, they're going to have a lot of younger guys stepping up and getting more time. You have Munford, who's decided to stay for another season officially. Him and Petit Fier are going to be one of the best tackle duos in the country. And the young guys on the offensive line are no doubt going to come and make a ton of great plays, replacing Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. On defense, we expected the linebackers and Sean Wade to leave. The Tommy Togai, his loss hurts. That was really shocking. Uh, a lot of people expected him to stay. And I think we had him and Haskell Garrett back. Oh, man, we were going to have the best defensive line in all college football next year. But at the end of the day, we still have a force to be reckoned with on the defensive line with Tyreek Smith, with Zach Harrison, and with Teron Vincent, if he can stay healthy this year and replace Tommy Togai. Secondary, despite losing Sean Wade, is strong. You have Marcus Williamson, who got better at the end of last year back. Cameron Browning, Savion Banks, Tyreek Johnson, all experienced guys, along with Josh Proctor, Marcus Hooker. There's a lot of experience in this secondary next season. And honestly, with all the guys we have returning, I'm so excited to run it back. The Buckeyes are going to be terrifying for opposing defenses next year. And honestly, I know I, 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 say, it, I, know I say it almost every year, but I really think that next year is our year to win it. All right. We are now going to do soccer in 90. Last segment of the day, some interesting soccer, go, a lot of intense soccer this week, especially in the Premier League. So, let's start. We had Man United and Liverpool on Sunday. They drew in a 0-0 game. It was a boring game, to be honest. I got Peacock for it. Uh, I deleted my, I uh, canceled my Peacock subscription after the game, but it was boring. However, Man United stayed at the top. However... Man City, they beat Crystal Palace on Sunday. They beat Aston Villa earlier today. So they jumped in the first place temporarily, tied with Leicester City. However, Man United, they need to beat Fulham to fall back in the first place. They do with a late goal by Paul Pogba to seal the victory and put the Red Devils back in first place in the Premier League. Liverpool, they're trying to keep pace in the race for EPL supremacy and at least hold on the top four for now. They play at Burnley tomorrow. They need a big win. There's seven teams chasing the top four spots. Only West Ham and Man City play this weekend. Uh, in the German league, the Bundesliga, the between you have German, you have Borussia Dortmund. They lost to Bayer Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen is now tied for second place with Red Bull Leipzig at the time of recording this. Uh, while Dortmund is now just barely hanging on to the top four. Dortmund and Mogl 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 Mog
You have Napoli. They crushed Fiorentina 6-0 to officially move ahead of Juventus in the standings. And Juventus lost to Inter Milan over the weekend. And Juventus, who are now nine-time defending champions of the Serie A, now sit 10 games back in Milan for first and are not even top four in the Serie A. Oof. That was it for 90 seconds of soccer. And that's it for this week's episode of the Bird's Eye View. Remember, if you want my latest updates during games, go subscribe to Birds, the Bird, J Bird's Eye View on Twitter. Go follow the Bird's Eye View on Instagram for all the latest episode drops. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.